My name is Cherie Leiden. I'm the CEO of Goldbull Resources and a director of Hog Ranch Minerals, both projects focused in Nevada, where I reside, geologist by background and uh, corporately focused for the past decade. Jeff Wilson, president and CEO of Precipitate Gold Corporation. We are a junior exploration company focused on mineral exploration in the Dominican Republic and more recently, two new assets exploring for gold in Newfoundland in Eastern Canada. I am Adam Sigelski, CEO and Director of Goldline Resources. We are a junior exploration company focused on uh, district scale projects in both Sweden and Finland and Scandinavia. Uh, Sherry, uh, Jeff and Adam, welcome aboard. Thanks very much for uh, joining us today. We're going to have a, a, we're calling it a gold panel, but we're going to, it's going to be far ranging. It's more uh, about how do we help retail investors, family offices, um, make sense of the current economic and, uh, climate and how they should behave. So um, with that in mind, um, you've seen a lot of uh, investors go risk off, take cash in hand, uh, hunker down and wait to see what happens. You guys don't get that luxury. So Sheree, how are you changing things, if at all? So we're changing things via switching from direct e exploration approach in Global to considering near-term production scenarios where when in a market like this, we don't know whether it's going to last a few weeks or a few years. And if we can look at production scenarios, we can essentially control our own destiny via um, generating cash flow. So I guess we're, we're um, pushing the go button on the scoping study and a feasibility study sooner than anticipated. Right. And do you think that's the right call, Jeff? You're going to follow suit? Yeah, well, I think it is the right call. I think there's a, a few different ways to navigate these environments. And 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 for us at, at Precipitate, you know, we are uh, in a fortunate position where we've come into a significant amount of cash through a non-dilutive transaction we did recently. And so we're actually looking at the market a little bit like, you know, perhaps the audience as investors. You know, we, we have a, a suite of assets that we are exploring. Um, obviously, we're mindful of burn rate and, and expenditures at this point in time, because you don't know when money is, is going to be even more difficult or if it's ever going to be you know, easily available from, from investors again. So we're looking at uh, possible um, acquisitions. We're looking at you know, what in the market has been depressed and is undervalued. And if you believe in the longer term trajectory of, of the markets and gold, you know, we think this is the time to start looking at undervalued opportunities. And what about you, Adam? You're, you're obviously over in Scandinavia. Are the rules slightly different over there? Uh, well, no, we're a junior exploration company. You know, we're not in a position to, to move into a production scenario. So, of course, you know, cash is king. You've got to be uh, you know, making your plans for the next 12 to 18 months, depending on where the market's at. And, uh, and right now it is risk off. So, you know, you do have to look at your portfolio. You have to look at non-diluted ways to finance and, uh, and keep all options on the table. Right. So, so and Sherry, if I look at the market at the moment, people are throwing the word inflation around left, right and centre, well, along with the ESG and sanctions and, um, you know, sort of deglobalization, monetary policy, lots of very sort of negative connotations there. But what's, what's the actual reality for you as an explorer, you know, and, um, you know, how are you being affected at the moment? So typically when I hear inflation, I think that's not a bad thing for gold. So it's it's a little odd right now how gold's not behaving. In my opinion, gold should already be at $2,500 with all the other factors in the market. However, how we're, how we're being impacted is our share prices being smashed. Um, on our day-to-day -day basis, we're not being impacted. Um, in fact, we've got more drill rigs available this year than were available last year. If anything, things have improved from a day-to-day -day operations perspective, the lab turnaround times have come down. 
Um, however, we, we have had uh, investors exit because we're an exploration story, high-risk, high-reward, and um, the whole market is seeing that mass exodus of capital uh, and presuming, presuming it's going into a bank account rather than being redeployed because we're not really seeing any sectors really bounce right now. So um, but besides the share price, uh, everything is business as usual, if not better uh, on the ground in Nevada. Yeah, I guess I guess that's that's interesting. So, would you would you say that nothing really has changed in terms of your investment proposition to to investors from that from that perspective, Sherry? In fact, I think it's better because you know with inflationary um, pressures, typically you do see that gold bounce, and uh, I'm, I'm a gold bull. I, I do think that we're going to see that eventually, uh, and um, it just makes it a buying opportunity, not just for our stock, but for the sector right now. We, our our ounces are valued at about. $19 an ounce Canadian. Uh, and then if you take out our cash out of that equation, it's like 14 or 15, which is essentially cheaper than discovering ounces in the USA at today's cost. So um, we're, we're not alone there. There's, if, if you can find defined ounces in the ground that are real ounces uh, in decent deposits for your, your market cap, less than 20 bucks. So I think those kind of plays are are screaming it's probably like the kind of things Jeff was alluding to there's a number of companies out there that are just so cheap based on their ounces in the ground right now there are and there's lots of marginal um, companies out there perhaps are going to get a- affected but you know Jeff in your view you know who are not not the name but into what type of companies are those is it some of the developers looking to try to get into production I mean where 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 would you be pointing people to and saying well that's probably a riskier um, investment proposition compared to ours. Yeah, well, surely, I mean, uh, the 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 general tendency is, of course, in our sector, anytime that the, the sector is sort of off, you start with the majors and the producers, if you believe that the market is coming back and sort of work your way down through the developers and into the exploration place uh, that are sort of sometimes the last to sort of get the uptick um, when the markets turn. Um, I think the one question that, you know, I, I myself don't even have the answers for at this point because it's all still relatively new uh, in terms of the economics of ounces in the ground is, is how are other factors impacting costs? So, so I think it's one thing to have ounces in the ground, um, but when you start looking at the cost of everything else and supply chain issues and things that are going on, you know, traditionally um, we all had a certain comfort that if gold's trading at a certain price and you can produce gold at a certain cost, you're making money. I, I, I'm, I'm sort of, I think a lot of companies have been a little bit slow to come out with updated uh, pre-feasibility studies or scoping studies because uh, they maybe don't want to know the answers all the time to what some of those additional economics are. So, uh, so I think the the selection process is you have to be you know in those uh, you know sort of the t- top percentile in terms of uh, low cost, uh, high return in terms of the the types of deposits you're looking at. But don't you think that inv- investors need to, a dose of reality here? The companies don't want to see these new redefined um, you know capex numbers. But if it, 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 that's what the new world looks like, you know, so we are going to have to take a, a good hard dose of reality and say, well, we, we've got to accept that it's going to affect everyone the same way. Um, or, you know, do you think it won't affect everyone the same way in terms of producers? Well, well, it, it, it obviously that is going to, you know, the cost of supplies is going to be, you know, across the board. But I think where you may see a change to that or, or an alteration to that, as, as Sherry sort of pointed out, is you may start to see the, the price of gold more accurately reflect what's happening in the world and the economics of extracting it. I mean, at the end of the day, 
Um, I think there's the potential that as, as, as costs get higher and gold production and extraction is, is reduced, the cost of gold is going to go up. And I think you'll see an offset in that. So I think there's a, a natural sort of correction almost to that in, when, when these economics become this way. And I think, I think gold is still going to be extracted. And I think that the price of gold will, at some point here soon, have to better reflect what's happening in the world. Right. But again, that's not, not in your control or anyone's control here. Um, I'm just wondering what the drivers are for that. I mean, Adam, your, your thoughts on that. You, you've got to focus on what you can do. You've got to focus on your story and, and telling that the best way possible. But at the same time, at some point, you get, you need to go and raise capital. Um, what, 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 something's got to give here, right? Because the explorers are not the beneficiary of all of this M&A activity that's going on out there. Um, gold price isn't. Uh, moving, um, and you're not kind of, you know, seeing, seeing the benefits of it, of, of it right now. So do you think something's got to give here? Do you think we're going to see a lot of casualties in the exploration side of uh, things? Well, you know, I think in, uh, in bad markets, uh, top quality assets, you know, those jurisdictional plays um, will always sort of surface to the top. Uh, M&A will happen because everyone has had a haircut here in their valuation. So it's really, everyone's kind of playing this game as, you know, oh, I'm down 50%. Well, I'm down 65%. And suddenly that becomes an interesting proposition for, for takeovers or for mergers. So it's kind of a weird uh, time. And I think in general, the market's just looking for a little bit more direction as to What's the Fed going to do? Can we really continue to increase interest rates? What's that going to mean for the price of gold? What's that going to mean for the dollar? And I think it's really a confusing time for a lot of investors. And you know, going back 10 years, you know, you saw $2,000 gold or $1,900 gold and the junior prices and, and, and the GDXJ you know, were at these really high levels. And here we are at the same price of gold. Um, you know, costs have gone up. Uh, inflation talk is everywhere. It's, it's obviously there's a very strange time in the world right now with war and inflation and interest rate movement. Um, so I think what we're going to see is, you know, further cash flow improvements. You're going to see, uh, you know, obviously CapEx is being impacted. Um, but again, a lot of jurisdictions are still, um, you know, in very favorable economic terms. It's still $1,800, $1,900 gold is still very profitable for a large majority of these companies. And I think we will see the price of gold, you know, probably later this year, you know, pick a direction and, you know, my gut is, you know, my brain is telling me it's obviously got to go higher, but you know, it's, you know, last six weeks have been very strange, and and this is this is our industry. Do you, but do you think this kind of um, economic shakeout is good for, good for the sector in, in a way, in the sense that we talked yeah. about, you know, I mentioned marginal projects earlier, or you know, people like to talk about lifestyle companies. Do you think it's it, it every now and again you need something like this, and for the better projects? They possibly even positively encourage it, you know, short-term um, pain for long-term gain. Yeah, I think you've got to look back, and I think most sophisticated investors, which are different than your typical retail investors, I think the retail investor can take, you know, experience from the past and, and some of these more sophisticated investors who make their bets in markets like these and make their greatest successes in markets like these. So this is the time to not necessarily be sitting on cash, but deploying that cash because. A lot of these companies are down pretty substantially. Uh, junior companies do need capital. Uh, larger projects need large, you know, larger amounts of capital. So there is dilution at times, and those are great opportunities to to to, to pick some low spots. And uh, you know, six, twelve months, 18, 24 months down the road, you're looking back at four or five times your money, thinking, "Geez, it was really tough to make that decision." Yeah. Okay. Sherry, you'd argue that you're in a tier one jurisdiction. I'm sure, you would. What's that mean anymore? 
What's that even mean anymore? No, I- there's like, there's so many uh, reasons that companies fall over in places where you expect them to succeed. So what does tier one even mean? Well, I think this is probably the only time I can think of where we've got a democratic um, president that's pro-critical minerals. And typically the Republicans are pro-mining, Democrats not so much. And now we've actually got, for the most part, bipartisan support to have critical minerals on, on US soil. And gold doesn't fall into that bandwagon. However, I think it's going to be caught up in that positivity and pro-mining sense in that there's a clear reliance on offshore minerals, predominantly Chinese, uh, and the US doesn't like it. So I feel that for for once, the mining industry in this country has an opportunity to really rally um, with both, both sides of government uh, cognizant of that, and I, I think we saw yesterday Biden administration announce a $4.3 billion initiative for uranium on US soil, and we're not talking about uranium, but it's just really good for our industry. So uh, I, I'm pretty bullish on commodities in general having a bounce back, and we're dealing with China, China that's half asleep at the moment you know, in this pursuit of zero COVID, and uh, when China actually turns back on and, and decides it's game on, I, I think then we're probably going to see the rally. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think that was um, 4.3 billion for enriched domestic enriched uranium. Um, but the signs are good. But what are, you, what are you seeing actually on the ground? Because obviously each, um, each state can do it its own way, right? They, 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 they've got to be pro-mining and you've got to have the local support. So without kind of wanting to wrap this up in some sort of ESG social uh, com- conversation, do you think that the politicians are doing more than just lip service pre this, you know, these midterm elections? Do they, have they, in your, your opinion, actually move the needle when it comes to allowing miners to do what they need to do and remove this red tape? Certainly in the US. They have not removed the red tape. There's been a lot of lip service and a lot of positivity. And now they've got another two years to start actually doing what they said they're going to do. And they're getting a lot of pressure from within. Um, I know a senator from Virginia and from Alaska is saying to the Democratic Party, well, you said you're going to do this. When are you going to do this? And what's happening? Because we're still reliant on these foreign, foreign countries that we don't want to have a reliance on when we have the minerals in US soil. So uh, it's going to be really interesting next couple of years to see what happens, if anything, in that space. And if not, you know, will the next administration actually do something? Right. Okay. So, so, so but would you argue, so, sorry to interrupt, would, would you argue, Sherry, that um, the US is a tier one jurisdiction? Would you, would you be as broad as that or is, is it a bit more nuanced? I, I definitely would not say the US is a tier one jurisdiction. I'd say it's a state by state. Um, focus here. Nevada, I certainly am a fan of, but there's probably less than half a dozen states in the USA that would even consider spending an exploration dollar. Okay, sorry. Because of the bureaucracy, it is is not easy in most states. Right. And on the uh, tier one jurisdiction uh, story, it is quite funny. Um, you know, you may be looking at other jurisdictions that, um, you know, typically politically you would think are not tier one, but the ability to move projects forward is a lot faster, a lot less red tape, and suddenly your return on investment changes. So um, there's a financial tier one, and then there's geopolitical, um, you know, an ESG type tier one situations it's that make this, uh, this a fun time to be picking opportunities. I, I think the interesting thing, the interesting thing too, Matt, is that uh, you know, uh, with with respect to the U.S. and Biden, and and you know, we're seeing similar initiatives in Canada for critical metals. I think I think it's a it's a really positive step for the sector that that governments are recognizing the need for these 
uh, minerals. Uh, but there's still, and, and it's great for the sector in that it's bringing mining into the conversation with respect to the need for these things. And if we want the kind of life as, as uh, you know, that, that we all want here in terms of the, the, the goods that we, we utilize, we're going to need to get these things out of the ground. What's interesting, though, still about what, what I'm hearing from a lot of people who are dealing with politicians, especially some of these government grants and incentives from the U.S. and Canada, is that uh, the terminology of actual extraction and mining is still sort of, you know, not really something anybody wants to talk about. So we're now starting to talk about, you know, the need for these minerals and metals and the processing of them and the uses for them, but still you know, the concept of building a mine still has that negative connotation when it comes to politics and, and obviously um, local communities and that sort of thing. So we're, we're getting there, but I think, I think governments are still a little reticent to get too, too behind the idea of, uh, of mineral extraction and where this stuff actually comes from. And that's, I think, something we need. I think we need, you know, the people of the world to understand where, where these things come from and, and uh, how they drive our economy. Well, and it's not just the politicians, sorry, Matt, it, it's also the companies such as your Teslas and your Apples. You know, these companies are massive consumers of mine products, but they don't want to associate themselves with mining. And it's obviously um, something that's done so many steps removed that mining is a dirty word. And we've got to the point now where California is probably the largest consumers of mine products. They don't want mines in their backyard. In fact, they don't even know that metal comes out of a mine in most instances. They have no idea that metal is from a mine, the car they drive or the battery they use. And, you know, ultimately I think we've got this real disconnect with our society not having any awareness that things are typically either mined or farmed. Uh, for me, I think we've got to go back to kindergarten and actually teach people about where things come from because there's a massive disconnect and that's your average consumer um, right up to your politicians that just don't know. They haven't been taught. I'd, I'd agree with that. And there's a, there's lots of conversation. I saw um, a great, I might even put the link below here, a great uh, advert done by, it was by the fossil fuel industry, or the, the petroleum guys, um, showing what life would look like without petroleum products, i.e., you know, their, their televisions and their phones and their clothes and their cars and et cetera. And I think maybe mining has, has a job to do there because you, you guys get the kind of the rough end of the, or the, the sharp end of the stick there. Um, in, in terms of perception and, um, you know, these kind of protests by N NGOs and students and so forth. So I think there's a job to be done there. But let me come, let me come back to this tier one thing because it's really, really important. It, what, what I've heard here is, is it's really nuanced. There's no point in companies coming out here and telling me we're a tier one jurisdiction because it's really nuanced um, in, in, in that um, it is probably easier and quicker to get a, a mining uh, permit or license in West Africa than it is in Canada, right? I, I, uh -huh. you, know, you could argue that, right? Um, yeah. And, and all countries and all jurisdictions have their pluses and, and minuses. I mean, Adam, talk, talk to me about Scandinavia because I think up until Rupert Resources did something, did, did their thing, um, it wasn't really something that North Americans considered, uh, an area that North Americans considered investing in. So what's the reality on the ground there for you? Uh, Scandinavia has always been an, uh, a great place for mining. Uh, a lot of projects have been, you know, in production for over a hundred years. So you've got a rich history of providing metal into Europe, you know, going back to the first and second world wars. Um, so we've got, you know, very well documented geological surveys, a lot of government supported moving projects forward, but you've also got very vocal 
NGOs and, and anti-mining uh, groups, you know, there as well. So, um, you know, for us, it's a great jurisdiction to work in. Um, you know, we are in Sweden and Finland. Rupert's had a big success. And what was, you know, an obvious top 10 country in the world to work in is suddenly right beside Russia and Putin and this NATO talk has suddenly turned, you know, what is a tier one jurisdiction into a little bit of a, is that going to impact things at all? Um, and, and just going back to the previous point. So, you know, we're, we're very happy where we're working, but I don't think the governments are the ones that are going to really um, change perce- perception here. You know, you've got the Teslas of the world that are realizing they need to get involved, um, you know, maybe in mineral extraction. And, you know, what was really interesting yesterday, I saw, I think it was yesterday, the day before, a uh, venture capital fund just raised $100 million, uh, VCs who want to get into sustainable mining and responsible mining and are going to fund projects that can demonstrate a zero, you know, basically zero impact on the economy. And I think this is kind of what you need. You need sort of outside investors to come in and say, oh, this is a very profitable business. And if we can demonstrate to the world, like imagine if Elon Musk said, hey, I'm going to dump this Twitter idea because I've already kind of shuffled, you know, you know, shuffled it around. And let's go and make sure that we can support companies that are going to do responsible mining. And if he just said that and did that, it would completely change the landscape of our industry. So it's, you know, we're living in very strange times. We're seeing VCs coming together, raising money for projects. And, and the battery metal story here in Ontario, in Canada, we just had a provincial election. Um, conservatives won. Conservatives want to put, you know, billions of dollars into sustainable uh, mineral extraction for battery metals here in Ontario. So, again, I think it's a balance of, of you know, politics and, and, and outside investors realizing that this is the valuations here. If you look at the experts, are at like 45, 50 year lows. So, compared to, you know, especially the development companies, they're incredibly, you know, their prices are very low. Their value is still, you know, has stayed the same. So, if you can see a big discrepancy between price and value, there's a there's a fantastic opportunity. Perception will change. It feels like it's slowly changing, but uh, you know, we just keep navigating. You know, we like Scandinavia and. and hoping for an Elon Musk type, um, you know, story to change our perspective in this industry. It's interesting that because there's a um, ESG fund manager called um, James Penny, and he's put a, a piece out recently saying that he reckons that the the kind of ESG investment industry may be heading for a reckoning because a lot of companies won't survive this period of higher interest rates. So new funds coming into a thematic who perhaps from outside the industry, you know, may may learn the hard way that it, it ain't easy. There's a lot of moving parts. It's, it's like I keep saying, it's very, very, very nuanced. Um, I mean, what, what, Jeff, what, what, what do you think of the kind of ESG layer? Um, does it affect exploration companies? I mean, in terms yes, of- it does. Right. I mean, I, I think I think it's part of, it's it's part of our world. It's part of our business. Um, you know, I we we operate. You know, have been operating for ten years now in the Dominican Republic. Um, you know, and and there have been some some delays and stalls with respect to permits and and dealing with locals. And you know, there there are people who will sort of sometimes say to me, "Well, you know, that's why you want to be in a you know, as you point out, a tier one jurisdiction. You want to be in the U.S. or Canada or these places." You know, the reality is there are similar barriers or, or, or nuances that, that you have to deal with in any jurisdiction. And so whether you want to build a mine in, um, you know, in Western Dominican Republic, or you want to put a pipeline across Canada, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to have to deal with various uh, special interest groups, communities, politicians, business leaders, 
um, and come to some sort of an understanding or arrangement that what you're proposing to do is net beneficial to, to all and uh, find a way to do that. So, and, and I think what, what happens in our business is people who understand that and people who have, you know, taken something from point A to B to C and all the way through the process or been involved in it, understand that, you know, you need to start to address some of those issues early on, or at least make that part of your assessment process before picking up an asset, you know, going back to our initial conversation about, you know, ounces in the ground and opportunities. Um, these, this is part of the vetting process to look at, you know, where, are, where, where are these ounces and, and what are the barriers or, um, or issues that are going to have to be dealt with? Because for anything to be available, it's either completely unknown and brand new and conceptual or has some sort of a, a wart or, or something that needs to be resolved. And um, in a lot of cases, those are the kinds of things I think need to be assessed by junior exploration companies at step one, so that they don't get, you know, tens of millions of dollars down a path, only to find out that they should have started the conversation, you know, three or four years earlier, and are now up against a roadblock. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a part of our business, it's part of our life, whether you're in Northern British Columbia or, or any other part of the world. Okay, so let's, let's, let's say this. So the, the Gulf thesis, we're all in violent agreement, it, you know, price will rise um, and the, it's, it's, not going anywhere. it's not going anywhere soon in terms of um, a market. No one's going to get distracted by Bit, Bitcoin or no one's going to get distracted by what, whatever the new shiny NFT of the day is. G gold is the way forward. So if we accept that, Sherry, we, we've talked, we've said here are a lot of the things, um, which you need, which are quite negative in the industry. Here are the things you need to watch out for. You as the CEO, what do you focus your team on? Because I'm guessing that me as an investor, I need to be aware of those things and I need to understand why those things are super important for you and therefore super important for me as an investor. What, what, what would you, I don't know, top three, top five things? What do you, what, what would you say? I guess I start with the team, you know, picking a team uh, that have done this before and have got a track record, both from a discovery perspective, development perspective and capital raising perspective. So a board and a management team is, is the first step for me. And then um, and going for, for assets where you see um, not, not so much tier one for our company, but tier two potential. We want to see assets that we see that have a mile life of over 10 years and a decent production um, pathway forward and if they don't make that cut then we'll you know, divest along the exploration phase rather than keep going at it um, and uh, I, I do think you know, tier one is is important because um, you talk about ESG and ethical minerals and all that kind of thing that's almost a given in a tier one jurisdiction because there are there are laws and permits that ensure that so in Nevada I find it funny that you know some companies promote ethical this and ethical that there is no choice. You know, you have to, you are governed by the rules and regulations um, that ensure that it's done ethically. Um, so for me, um, being in the right country or the, not just the right country, it's the right province in the right part of the state. And, um, and that's hard for an investor to pick because there's some parts of Nevada that I wouldn't go to. And there are other parts that I think you know, are probably the best part um, of the planet to permit in. So that's tricky. And then that comes back to if you trust your, your board, um, then I feel like if you trust the right people, then you're probably in good hands. And um, I, I think the operating costs um, in relation to the cost of the commodities critical, whether it's gold or whether it's anything. Um, a high-grade gold doesn't matter if it's going to cost $1,600 an ounce to get out. Um, you know, and there's some projects in Nevada that are, are 0.3 and cost $1,000 to get out of the ground, and that they're, for me, a lot more attractive than 
looking at some sexy sizzly numbers, but that's also lost on your average punter. So I think looking at that operating costs in relation to whatever the sale price of the commodity is, is going to be critical and tough times. And Adam, what, what would you add to that? I mean, I, I agree with everything Sherry said, but what would you add to that? I mean, what are the things that you've had to overcome when, um, when starting up? Um, yeah, I mean, listen, you know, ESG is something that you, um, you, you put into the DNA of your company. It's just, uh, as Sherry said, it's, it's just a, a standard now. You have to communicate with the communities that you're working in. You have to give them guarantees that, that you're not, you know, doing any harm. Uh, and ultimately, yeah, you know, um, companies like ours, you know, you have to look out 12, 24 months and, uh, and, and decide sort of, you know, how much work you do and, and what sort of a, you know, what you need to do to entice in- investors. And, um, and yeah, it's a, you know, times like these can be difficult. So for us, it's really just focusing in on, uh, ensuring that our permits are in place, ensuring that our investors are continuously communicated to and, and, uh, yeah, focusing in on, on, on the bottom line value, which is, you know, the money that you put into the ground. Right, but how do you, how do you, how do you kind of win in this environment? Because there's a lot of lot of, a lot of people saying the same sorts of things. So, what what if you in terms of the goal status? Sherry's laid laid out a few things. I agree with you on the ESG, but how do you win? Do you win just by surviving in this kind of economic environment? Is it, should you be? Yeah, I think you have to be decisive. You have to just uh, you know move forward and ensure that you, you know your company you know survives you know through these times and and lives to fight another day because. When these markets, you know, you've seen in the gold space, you know, these markets can just drop, you know, within a week, you know, you're down 30%, 40%, as we see with, with what's happened in the markets, but it can just turn around as quickly. And you have to be prepared for that, which means, you know, in Scandinavia, you know, you've got to be planning your drill program six months ahead. You've got to have the capital in hand. You've got to be able, you've got to anticipate that this fall is going to be an exciting market where retail investors are jumping, but you can't go back six months in time and start drilling again. So um, you have to make sure you're capitalized. You have to make sure you're, you know, you're, you're ahead of the game. Uh, the market wants to see drill results, uh, you know, you know, in a hot market, they're incredibly uh, impactful. And in markets like these, I've seen some drill results that have yielded very, very, you know, huge liquidity events. So, um, yeah, you survive to fight another day and you prepare for that upswing. And when that upswing comes, it's as violent as it is on the downside. So um, be prepared. Retail investors should have cash, deploy it strategically, get comfortable with your board and your teams. Uh, as Sherry said, if, you're, if you've got a good board, uh, you know, you, you're likely going to be making the right decisions and uh, navigating these markets. But, you know, these markets, they catch everyone offside. If you've got a portfolio of rich of assets, you can dispose of some of those assets. You can be transactional. You know, we're going into the mining show next week, which I think is going to be very active. It's the first one we've seen. Uh, PDAC is the first one in a couple of years here since COVID hit. So I think it's going to be a lot of shoulder rubbing, a lot of deal making, um, a lot of active discussions. And, and again, I think the market's going to be pretty quiet here as we look for direction. I think we're going to come back in the fall into the winter and have a very exciting gold market. So it's really just preparing for that and, uh, and, and you know, communicating to your investors the best you can and, and demonstrating that you can make the right decisions in difficult times. Right. And, and I think that's right. But again, it becomes harder when a lot of people are saying the same thing. Right. Jeff, you've got a Newfoundland project. Last year, we saw a lot of Newfoundland projects for obvious reasons. It makes difficult. It makes it difficult for you to say, well, hang on. No, we're, we're the real deal. Those are just noise. Those are just headlines. Those are just stories. You know, you need to kind of, um, you know, work your way through that white noise, um, to stand out. So h- how do you do it? And more importantly, how do I, as an investor, work out what's real and what's not in an environment like that? 
Well, to, to me, the, the answer to that question goes right back to, you know, Sherry's first point of the conversation about, you know, what to look for, and it's people. Again, if, if the right people in any environment walk into your office and sit down and say, you know my track record, you know what I've done in the past, and this is where I'm now hitching my wagon, or this is where I see there's an opportunity, um, you know, you're much more likely to buy into that thesis if these are people who have, you know, brought successful opportunities to you in the past or made discoveries in the past or have the technical team to identify opportunities that have been overlooked. So I think that's really what it comes down to. In markets like this, you know, you start looking at, uh, you know, pe some people just run out of, of fuel when, when the market softens. They don't, you know, if, if they're just, you know, the, the, the game plan is to just promote in a hot market, um, you know, the wind comes out of the sails for those kinds of guys pretty quickly and capital typically dries up for those kinds of companies first, because, you know, the, the, the upside potential is limited. It's not now the rising tide that's going to make you money and you've got the right promoter behind it. So this will make money regardless. Now it becomes a matter of who's navigating the ship here. You know, where are the assets? What are they? Do they have enough money to be able to sort of, you know, get to the next stage? And if that next, if they deploy that capital adequately now, it will tell us whether or not it warrants additional capital down the road. There are investors who can get behind that incremental progress of projects um, with the right people. So to me, it, it really comes down to even in tough markets, because, you know, as, as Adam and Sherry both said, look, the market shifts and changes. If we as junior exploration companies turned on and off the tap with the, you know, the, the sentiment of the day, um, you know, we'd be we'd be spinning in circles. So you sort of have to have an extended longer term uh, game plan. You have to be prepared to navigate bad markets, uh, take advantage of good markets. Uh, but I think for those of us that are in this space and expiration, you know, um, we're, we're in this for the long haul. And really what we sort of have to sometimes be nimble with is, is the changing sentiment. So when sentiment's on, you can access capital, you can make acquisitions, you can be a little bit more aggressive. When sentiment is, is a little off as it is now, hopefully you've done the right things in the good market. So you've got some capital to weather the storm. You've got assets that you can deploy capital to you know, wisely and still sort of continue to move the needle, even though, as Adam said, good news may or may not you know, uh, rattle the market and, and drive the share price. But I think people who understand our business have invested in this for a long time We'll look back at, you know, let's say 12 or 24 months worth of news release subject titles and subjects and say, yeah, these guys have progressed and they've advanced this and maybe they haven't got recognition. But that's when if people believe the market is going to turn, those are the types of stories that will get funded or see investment activity quickly because they're on the cusp of taking advantage of a rising tide when it starts to come again. Versus guys who've been completely stagnant for six months or 12 months or 18 months waiting for the rising tide, you know, the, the train's already left the station by the time. I uh, totally agree. You have to be counter-cyclical, otherwise you miss the boat when it yeah. does turn. Well, like, I, I think uh, like all, all three of you, Sheree, Jeff, Adam, um, I appreciate your time today. I'm actually going to give you 30 seconds each to give this audience reasons why they should be looking at your company. Sheree, why don't you take us... Why don't you go first? We're in the middle of a drill program, Global Resources, TSX, GBRC. Um, today we announced a spectacular drill intersection. We've got high-grade gold from the surface at one of our projects, and we've basically hit what we intended to hit. We'll see if our share price reacts today or whether it's a liquidity event, but we're going to do what Jeff just said. We're going to keep on um, drilling, adding value, adding ounces, and then we're going to investigate 
how we extract those answers and generate return for our shareholders. Yeah, well, you know, we're a Scandinavian exploration company with massive district scale projects. We have a new resource coming out on our uh, acquired Finland project. Uh, our market capitalization today is somewhere between six and seven million dollars. So you can buy into a junior exploration company, which made a new discovery in Sweden on a belt that we control over 85 kilometers of that belt. Uh, you can buy that company today at a third of the price that we just raised money at with some of the top investors in the world. Yeah, well, on the subject of being counter-cyclical, uh, we like to put our, our money where our mouth is. So we acquired a project in the Dominican Republic about three years ago for $25,000 cash in a very depressed gold market when we were all competing with cannabis and crypto, et cetera. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, we sold a portion of that ground to Barrick for a little over $5 million uh, US in a three-year term. So that's, I think, uh, you know, our putting our money where our mouth is in terms of acquiring good opportunities that are under-recognized or underappreciated and bringing about an ROI for our investors. So we're now cashed up. Um, we've got a little over $8 million in the treasury. Most of that came on a non-dilutive event with Barrick. And uh, we're active on our projects in Newfoundland. We just commenced uh, exploration on two projects there in the last couple of weeks, hoping to bring one or both to a drill stage later this year. And uh, we still hold three assets in the Dominican Republic, one of which is uh, part of an earn-in with Barrick, where Barrick's spending to earn 70%. And the other two projects are in what we believe to be quite um, enriched mineral belts that have lots of exploration potential. So we're sort of monitoring what the timing is to deploy some capital in the DR, but Newfoundland is full uh, steam ahead right now and results should be pending. Um, right. Well, thank you to all three um, CEOs on here. Sheree Leiden, CEO of uh, Hog Ranch Minerals, um, Jeff Wilson of Precipitate Gold, and uh, Am Sigelski, uh, CEO of Goldline Resources. Three companies I uh, respect, and or CEOs I respect, and three companies I think are have got quite interesting stories. So go have a look now. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys.